Yeah, my wife was the Diet Coke comment, so that was our, that was our four-year-old. <laughs> spot on, Madison, spot on. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Trace. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody doing good? Great to have you with us today. Happy Mother's Day. I want to say welcome to all of you in this room. I want to say welcome to those of you watching online or maybe listening to this at a later date. Thanks for joining the conversation. Uh, but we do want to honor moms today. We want to honor the moms that are with us. So can we just take a moment and honor all the mothers? <clears throat> We honestly don't do that enough, and I personally was raised by a single mom, so I get it. And uh, moms, I'm sorry. Uh, we are sorry for not honoring you more often. And so today we do want to take the time to do that, and hopefully uh, you'll feel honored throughout this day and not just in this moment. Uh, I do this every year, and so I want to do it now. We, we know that uh, this day doesn't look the same for everyone. And we know that this day uh, may bring up some feelings that aren't as bliss as maybe some of you that have had great experiences as a mom or having a mom. Uh, we know that maybe some of you lost a mom this year. We know that some of you potentially are struggling to become a mom, that infertility is a part of your story. We know that some of you maybe feel like that you have failed as a mother and you wish that in many areas of your life you could have a do-over. And so because that story of everyone maybe looks a little bit different today when it comes to Mother's Day and how we celebrate this day, um, I just want to take a moment and I want to say a prayer collectively uh, over all of you, if that's okay, and that whatever, whatever and however God needs to show up in your life today, whether it's celebration or if it's um, maybe navigating, navigating through some grief, uh, I, want, I want you to know that we know you're here, and I want you to know that your Heavenly Father sees you. And so uh, I just want to take a moment and pray, and then we'll continue. Father, uh, we do take a moment, and we honor our moms. Uh, God, thank you for how you have specifically gifted mothers and the mothers that are in this room. And God, I'm personally so thankful for the mom that you gave me and all the sacrifices that she, that she gave up, all the things that she went without so that me and Ryan and Michael could go with. And so, uh, God, we know this day doesn't look the same for everyone. And I know that for some in this room right now, this, this day maybe brings a little bit more grief than it does celebration. And so, uh, God, would you just meet everybody, everybody, uh, where they're at and however they specifically need you today. Uh, God, would you just meet them in the midst of this moment? And God, we know you will. We know the power of your Holy Spirit is among us. And so God, I'll hand that over to you uh, to do what only you can do. I pray this in Christ's name. Everybody said? Amen. Hey, well, today we're continuing in this series, God Never Said That. And last week we looked at the verse Jeremiah 29, 11. And there was a young lady, if you missed last week, this is not going to make a lot of sense, but if you were here, uh, there was a young lady that came up to me after the sermon. Again, Josiah preached that sermon last week, did a phenomenal job. If you did miss it, I'd encourage you to go back and watch it on YouTube. But a young lady came up to me after the sermon, and she said, so I guess I'm going to have to cut off my arm, as she pointed to Jeremiah 29 uh, tattooed on her forearm. And I said, no, no, you don't need to do that. Just wear a sleeve for the rest of your life. You're fine. <laughs> no, I said, hey, as long as you're translating it correctly, you're good. You're good. Um, so next week, I want to give you a heads up for next week. I'm going to be looking at the phrase, everything happens for a reason. And that may seem like a very simple phrase. It may seem like a phrase, and my guess is that you've either used it or you've had it said to you, <clears throat> excuse me, at some point in your life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at that particular phrase because I believe that it has started to cause people to have a misrepresentation or a false depiction and understanding of who their Heavenly Father actually 
is. And so I think you'll enjoy next week. I think it's going to be uh, probably theological in nature to help you to understand the heart of your heavenly father. And so I'd encourage you to invite a friend and come back to that because I think it will. As we kind of look at that phrase and then we look at scripture, I think it's going to help you to understand even how God navigates the pain and suffering in our life. Okay, so I want to invite you to come back for that. But today, today we're going to jump into a subject that would... I shouldn't say would, it, it has made its way to the top of the most controversial subjects in the church. And the verse that we're going to look at is probably landed at number one in the most controversial verses in your New Testaments. Today we're going to be talking about the role of women in the church. Who's excited? All right, on Mother's Day, here we go. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you today, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2, so you can take those out, turn them on, or open them up, and we'll make our way over to that, to that particular verse here in just a few moments. But uh, let me do this. Let me preface with a, <clears throat> a handful of things. The first thing is this. Um, I'm not necessarily approaching this sermon in a way to change anybody's mind on any given issue. Okay, I just need you to know that. I know that there's going to be various opinions potentially on this subject when it comes to the role of women in leadership in church or just the role of women in church. And I'm not approaching this where it's like, hey, I need you to believe what I believe. Uh, nothing like that. If anything, the bigger win for me today, you really need to know this up front, okay? The bigger win for me today is to show you the importance of what we call good exegesis. Now, exegesis is just a fancy word for studying your Bible well taking the time to look into the historical context, to look into the cultural context of whatever passage that you may be reading so that you make sure that you're walking away with an accurate understanding or the most accurate understanding that you possibly could on any given verse, but especially the ones that I would say have controversy around them. And so regardless of what your opinions may be on the subject today, my hope is that you would come away with, man, there's so much more behind every scripture that we read, and a verse, or not a verse, but a statement that we're going to keep making in this series is that a verse can never mean what it never meant. So we have to be careful that we don't bring our own opinions and ideas and experiences and cultural biases to the table to tell the text where to go, but we allow the text to speak for itself, and we do our job to decipher through the historical and cultural context to make sure we're understanding that text the best that we can. Now, Here's what I want to do. I want to set some ground rules, okay, because I know the tension that could potentially exist around this subject, so I think it's important that I set some ground rules for us, and there's four of them. Here's number one. This is not a man versus woman issue. In other words, you're going to find uh, women who say that they believe that there are only roles for men within the church, and then you're going to find men who say that they believe women can be pastors and preachers. And so I want us to be careful that we don't approach this through the binary lens where it's like all women are in this camp and all men are in this, in this camp because it's not a man versus woman issue. I want to be clear about that. Number two in our ground rules, uh, and I think I already said this, but let, let's be cautious. Let's be cautious how much we bring our own feelings, experiences, and cultural biases to the conversation. Because we can easily do that, and when we do that, we, we will have the tendency to tell the text where to go. Even our traditions, and I challenge people in this all the time, and I challenge myself in this all the time. Uh, our traditions, if we're not careful, meaning whatever church tradition that you were brought up in, I think traditions can be a great thing, but what we have a tendency to do is allow our traditions to tell the text where to go. And excuse me, instead allowing the text to speak for itself. So let's make sure that we don't do that today. God gave us the Bible to inform us, and so let's be careful that we don't try to inform God. Number three, 
I want you to know that there are still some areas on this subject that I'm personally wrestling with. And I think it's good for you to know that because I don't want to get up here and act like that I've got it all figured out. I don't want to get up here and act like that I've come to all you know, these finite conclusions because I haven't. There are areas in this particular subject, and there's a lot of nuances within this conversation that I'm just not going to have time to get into today. But ultimately what it comes down to, um, I think for a lot of people, is not so much sometimes whether the text is clear, right? When you read a Bible verse, the Bible verse may be incredibly clear, but what we often have to wrestle with is this right here. Was the Bible verse speaking to a moment in time, or was it speaking to or meant for all time? Was the Bible verse speaking for a moment in time, or the author, as he's writing his book in the Bible, is he speaking for a moment in time, or was it something that was meant for all time? And you just need to know, like, there's tension here. There are several areas within the New Testament that I still wrestle with where I'm like, okay, it seems clear, but what's not clear is was it meant for a moment in time or was it meant for all time? And there's tension here. I've got pastors, uh, friends of, <clears throat> excuse me, friends of mine who are on both sides. And you just need to know this, okay? I think it's good for you to know this. This is a non-essential for me. So I've got good pastor friends that land on the traditional side of what women's involvement in church should look like. And then I've got pastors on the other side. And it's just a non-essential for me. So I don't, I don't split hairs on this subject a lot. But at the same time, what I do know, listen to me, because this is big. What I do know is that this subject has created a lot of spiritual abuse. This subject has created a lot of church hurt. And so to just dismiss the importance of the conversation that we're going to have today would be very unhealthy. And so let's make sure that we all press into it with both truth and grace. Number four, my last ground rule. It is impossible. It's impossible for me to have an exhaustive sermon on this subject in the time that's been allotted. And so if you have any specific questions about this afterwards, uh, you can feel free to send us an email. You can write something on a prayer card and leave it with us today. And I promise you, listen to me, I promise you we'll get back with you and try to answer those questions to the best of our ability. Sound good? All right, let's jump in. First Timothy chapter 2, here's what Paul says. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority, and I've got those words underlined for a reason, or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, there are probably a couple quick reactions that you could have when you read this. The first one could be, hey, look, it's clear. It's absolutely clear. Why are we even arguing about this? Why is there even a conversation about this? Paul was crystal clear that women were not called to be in church leadership. And historically, for the most part, that's where most churches have landed. Or you could read this and your reaction would be, see, the Bible is so outdated. Why are we even using it to, to bring any kind of structure or sense to how we run church or even how we live our lives? And I think if you have either of those postures, I personally believe that you're wrong. And so here's what I want to do. What I want to do is I want to show you how I would read this text. And listen, I know this. I've got a master's degree in biblical studies. I'm going to have more training than a lot of you would have. And so my mind is going to be able to comprehend and compute, begin computing some things that maybe you have not yet been trained to do. And hopefully by me showing you how I do this, it would give you a greater desire to want to study in more depth your Bibles. And so when I read this passage, here's the first thing. I'm going to kind of give you a, what I would call a, a, a cultural uh, framework. I'm going to build a cultural framework for where I would go as I read this verse, because again, a very hard verse to translate. 
And so, number one, I would say this. Who wrote the letter? Who, who wrote the letter? It's Paul. Who's he writing it to? He's writing it to Timothy. These are all important questions. It's going to build a cultural framework for us, a contextual framework, I should say. Where is Timothy at? He's in Ephesus. And we know that by reading in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Paul tells him to stay in Ephesus. Number four, what is the cultural climate of Ephesus? What's potentially happening during this time that Paul's writing this letter to Timothy that could make us read this verse in a different way? Number five, what did Paul say before and after this passage that maybe will give us a little bit more understanding into this particular very controversial part, this very controversial passage? Number six, are there other passages of Scripture that may help me understand this particular passage? Are there other places I could go to in the Bible to either support this text or maybe cause me to look at this text differently? And number seven, are there any words specifically, any words that I need to translate into the Greek to see if there's a deeper, uh, more meaningful understanding of what's being said? Now, for the sake of time, I'm just going to go ahead and jump ahead a little bit. Because of my... um, Bible study, my in-depth Bible study for more than a decade now, I immediately have some hang-ups when I read this verse. So when I read this verse, one of the first hang-ups that I have is that Paul says that all women should remain silent. Now let's just take some time, okay? Because even the churches that maybe stand on the more traditional side of things, the churches that stand on the more traditional side of things, I don't think follow that. That women should be silent all the time in every situation, every context of the church, And so already, even the churches that stand on the more traditional side of reading this text, they're already leaning away from actually living out what the the verse says in its completion. And so if that's already happening, then we should probably start to put a bigger question mark. Well, we're not living out this verse in its entirety, the way that it actually says it, that women should even be quiet all of the time. And by the way, if any of you are ever a part of a church like that, run. It's a cult, okay? It's like, don't... Don't stay there. And immediately, the reason why we probably have a hang-up with this, that, wait a minute, wait a minute. All right, okay, women should be quiet all the time. They should remain silent. Maybe the reason that we have a hang-up with that, and again, the reason I have immediately hang-up with that is because I don't see that in other places in the New Testament. So immediately, my mind jumps to other passages where I'm like, well, I know that that's not the case. So let me take you to Romans chapter 16 really quick. In Romans 16, Paul says this. He goes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Now, to give you some context for this, Paul's Paul's writing the letter to the Roman church. You know this as the book of Romans. He's writing the letter to the Roman church, and he's about to hand it to a woman to take to the church in Rome. And so he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon. Now, you need to know there, a deacon in other places would have been a role for men. And so it's like, well, why did Paul use this word in the context of women here? And oh, maybe it's a different Greek form of the word. It's not. It's used in the masculine tense form of the Greek word. And so Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon, which also means servant minister or servant leader of the church in Sincrea. I ask that you receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and give her any help that she may need from you For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Does that sound like a woman that is remaining silent in all church contexts? And a lot of scholars, I can't prove this, but a lot of scholars believe that when Phoebe carried this letter to the church in Rome, because Paul is the one giving her instruction, she likely is the one that stood up in front of the church and said, let me tell you what the Apostle Paul has said. 
And so now you have a woman instructing and teaching the church. But don't miss the depth of this because I'm just kind of hitting the surface. Listen, here we have the book of Romans. The book of Romans, Paul's letter to the Roman church, arguably, listen to me, the most theological piece of literature ever on the subject of salvation. And Paul sends it with a woman who scholars, again, believe that she likely got up, stood up, and recited it in front of the church in Rome. Does that sound like a woman who's staying silent in all cultural contexts and not potentially leading and teaching men? In verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila. We're going to talk about them a little bit more as well. He said, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers. So this is a husband and wife, and he doesn't just highlight the husband. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. So they actually lead a church. And it sounds like they lead a church together. Now, let me give you some more context on Priscilla and Aquila. During Paul's missionary journey, he was traveling around to different islands by sailing from one island to the next. And along the way, somewhere along the way, he meets Priscilla and Aquila, who do the same thing that he does as a trade. They're tent makers. And so they start traveling together. And then he gets to Ephesus. Where was Timothy when Paul wrote the letter? He's in Ephesus. So they get to Ephesus, and it says that Paul drops them off. So Priscilla and Aquila are now in Ephesus, and Paul moves on, keeps carrying on with his missionary journey to go around to all the the different major cities to preach the gospel of Jesus. And so Priscilla and Aquila are now in Ephesus, and let me show you what happens in Acts chapter 18. It says, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. So here's a church leader. Here's somebody that knows what he's talking about. Though he knew only the baptism of John, so he didn't know, understand the baptism of repentance. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila, when Priscilla and Aquila, the husband and the wife, heard him, they took him aside and explained or taught to him the way of God more accurately. Priscilla and Aquila were underneath whose instruction? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is the one that's shaping how they're doing the ministry for the gospel. And Paul didn't say, hey, when you get around certain church leaders or church contexts, make sure that it's only Aquila who's the one speaking up because Priscilla's a woman and she needs to remain silent. All the men said, no, don't say amen there. It was a trap, yeah, it was. A... <laughs> they took a church leader aside and explained the message of God and the gospel more accurately. So, is Paul speaking out of both sides of his mouth? Or could there be another explanation of why Paul used such strong language in his letter to Timothy? but then in other places allows significant roles for women to step up and lead and teach. So maybe what we could do is go back and look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, but this time let's read a little bit more before and after to see if that gives us any any better context, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to begin in verse 8. 
I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire. Again, contextually, my mind goes somewhere because I know that Paul wouldn't have had to have said that to Jewish women. Paul, Paul would have no need to say this to Jewish women because they never would have dressed this way. So there was likely a group of women in this cultural context that he's speaking to. Make a mental note. But with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn, let a woman learn quietly with all submit, submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority. Ready? The Greek word for authority here is authentine. It is the only place where this Greek word is used. I make a mental note. Whoa, why is this the only place? Why is that such a different word in this context than it would be in other contexts? There are several different Greek words that could be translated into the translation of authority. But Paul uses a word here that he never uses anywhere else. And that Greek word actually means to be a master over, to domineer over, or ready, to be the author over a man. Hold that thought. Rather, she is not to remain quiet. For Adam was formed. For, <clears throat> excuse me. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And this is where it gets really weird. You ready? Yet she will be saved through childbearing. Well, that's just dumb. I'm, I mean, that's we know that not to be true. We know that this is not true. That a woman is saved through childbearing. It's like. Okay, and this, again, what happens is we read this and we just like, no idea. Let's just keep moving, right? Let's just keep, <laughs> let's just keep reading and we'll kind of just leave, leave that one alone. Should we save through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control? I used to be inc incredibly confused by this passage. Again, I'll just be honest with you. Even after going to Bible college or in seminary and getting a master's degree in biblical studies. Like, what does this mean? And the reason why this is such a hard text is because we have both things that are said here that are kind of, kind of weird and also rare. We've got some Greek words that are being used that typically aren't used, or some, one of them, as I mentioned, is not used anywhere else. And so is it possible that there's something else happening in Ephesus that is causing Paul to speak to a moment in time and maybe not something he wants to say that's meant for all time? And so as Paul is writing this letter to Timothy in the city of Ephesus, here are several things that you want to make a mental note of. And if you're a note taker, I would encourage you to take notes here because this really will help you to study your Bible better. First thing, in Ephesus there was a cult called the, called the uh, Cult of Artemis. And the Cult of Artemis was a group of women. It was a women-only cult who worshiped the goddess Artemis. And if you go to Ephesus today, you can actually still, still see ruins of this particular city and some of the ruins of this particular um, temple because Ephesus was an abandoned city. And so a lot of the things that were built there still stand to some extent to this day. And so you can actually go and see the temple of Artemis. And this cult, they would have practiced and taught several different things. One of the things they would have taught is that it wasn't woman who brought sin into the world, like the Adam and Eve story, right? That's, that Eve is the one who sinned and ate of the apple. But it was actually man who brought sin into the world. Make a middle know that. So the women in this culture would have taught it was actually man who brought sin into the world. 
They also would have been underneath the influence of this just domineering and empowering way over men, specifically in the temple. When women were in this temple, if you were a part of this cult and you went to the temple, women had all the power. A man didn't get to have the authority that he had in other places in society. If you were in this temple, women had all of the power. And they could say and do however they pleased. And they would have incantations and different types of seances and how they worshipped and speaking freely of how they felt the goddess of Artemis would have had them worship. And then, and this is an incredibly important point too, listen to me. They also would have been taught some Greek mythology that when Artemis was born... She was born first, and she had a twin brother, but her mom was struggling in childbirth with her twin brother, and so Artemis helped to deliver her twin brother, Apollos. How does an infant help (laughs) deliver? It's Greek mythology, okay? Just stay with me. But Artemis actually helped to deliver her twin brother, Apollos, which gave her the right to become the goddess of fertility and childbearing, among many other things. And so women in that culture, specifically young women, would have worshipped Artemis out of fear that if they did not, they would struggle through childbirth, either losing their own life or losing their child. And so there was this natural fear for women to, to worship. Even if they didn't grow up in the cult, they kind of got caught up in it. You'll see this in Haiti with voodoo, kind of, where it's like these women got caught up in this cult because they wanted to make sure that the gods were on their side when they went through Childbearing. They also taught that it was man and not woman. If I already said this, I apologize. I'm going back at my notes here. It was man, not woman, who brought sin into the world. I did already say that. And they also would have dressed the way that Artemis was often depicted through statues, which was wearing their hair braided and wearing gold and jewels and things like that. It was kind of like wearing Gucci of the day, but bedazzled, right? They would have stood out. There's no, no doubt. So if you know all of that now, can I read the passage again? And I want to see how, how what Paul's saying to Timothy, for what I believe to be a moment in time, could be understood differently. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 2. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and golden pearls and costly attire. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Not what you see happening around us. Not what you see is kind of the cultural expectation of, man, if you want to be a woman that's empowered, like you, this is how you dress. No, ladies, if you want to be about the way of Jesus, then be about someone who dresses in a way that professes those who are godly in their thinking and that profess their godliness through good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I'm not going to give you the same kind of room that you've got in the um, Artemis temple where you can come in and just say whatever you want. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority. There's that word authority, authentine, to be a master over man. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise a domineering spirit over man. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise that they are the author over man. A man. Rather, she should be quiet. For Adam was formed first. Now Paul's taking us back. Let me go back and give you the actual historical account of creation. It wasn't woman, or it wasn't man who brought sin into the world. It was woman. So Paul's going back for this particular particular cultural context. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, it was the woman that was deceived and became the transgressor. 
and she will be saved. Okay, the Greek word here, I think I got it up there. Yeah, sothestai or something like that. It's all Greek to me. Um, Yet she will be saved. Three other possibilities, if you take that Greek Greek word of how this can be translated. Yet she will be kept safe through childbearing. Yet she will be brought safely through childbearing. Why would Paul need to say that? Because these women were worshiping a Greek goddess so that they would feel like they're going to be saved through childbearing, that they were going to be safe through childbearing, that they weren't going to die when they gave birth, that one of their kids wouldn't die when they gave birth. Can you see how this text is now starting to come to life in a whole new way? Yet she will be kept safe through childbearing, not by worshiping a Greek goddess. No, if they continue in faith and in love and in holiness with self-control. So maybe, I'm not trying to change your mind today, but you can't argue with the historical context. Go look it up for yourself. Maybe Paul wasn't speaking, speaking this into existence for all time. Maybe he was speaking for a moment in time. And if he was, maybe the big question right now is, okay, so what? (laughs) So what? So ladies, what does that mean for you? Listen to me. This is how I want to close. I don't want you to just sit and listen and be quiet in this church. I want you to lead. I want you to leverage every ounce of stinking influence that you have for the glory of God. I personally want to look to you for your insights and ideas of how we can make Jesus more famous in our city. Can I get an amen? I want to learn from your unique perspective and experiences. And I want the voices of women around every table where major decisions are being made in this church. And you need to know that one of the most influential voices that has helped shape the church that you're sitting in now, we're only four and a half years old, is a voice that I want to listen to for the rest of my life. And it just happens to be my wife, Emily Pennington. And so what I've asked her to do is to come up. You can give it up for Emily. Also known as the first lady. She told me not to say that. But I want to let her close my sermon this morning. Love you. It's quite the introduction. (laughs) Good morning, Trace. I am super happy to be here with you guys today. Um, Earlier this week, Aaron asked me if I would be willing to get up and share a few thoughts with the ladies. So I know we got a bunch of guys in the room, and you guys can just eavesdrop because I'm really just talking to the ladies right now, okay? Um, as I was thinking and, and praying through what I wanted to say uh, and share with you ladies today, I really just felt like the Holy Spirit continued to place one specific thing on my heart. And that was that we as the ladies of Trace would be growing in godly confidence. You know, in our culture, we hear a lot about growing in self-confidence or ways that we can improve ourselves, that the whole principles of self-improvement. And those, those can be fine. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But as ladies who are really trying to follow after Jesus, um, our primary focus really should be growing a godly confidence. So I don't know how that term sits with you guys. Some of you may be sitting there and saying, I don't even know what you mean by that. Like, I don't know if I've ever had godly confidence. What is that? Some of you may know what I'm talking about because you've had this experience in your life and in your faith where you have just felt like you are in a sweet spot with the Lord and you're being you're used exactly as he wants to use you and you feel that deep in your soul um, and some of you are sitting in here today and, and you feel that right now like hey I'm, I'm really in a great place 
I feel like I'm walking with the Lord and I know what he's created me to do. And if that's you this morning, I'm just super happy that you find yourself there today because those of us who may not find ourselves there today, we need your encouragement. Um, And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I want to explain kind of what I see as godly confidence and how we as the ladies of Trace can grow in that way. Um, For sure, one thing we all have in common in this room, so this is gals and guys alike, is that we mess up regularly, and we're going to continue to mess up. So I'm not talking some crazy, unattainable Proverbs 31 woman (laughs) when I'm talking about growing in godly confidence. Don't picture some perfect person. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, What's more likely is she's going to look like you and me, and she's going to have hurts, habits, and hang-ups that follow her around, and insecurities that um, can trip her up. And so in those moments, instead of just allowing that to happen, she shifts her focus and turns it back to God. So when I think of a woman who is growing in godly confidence, I see a woman that when those obstacles are in her path or she's got a lot of pain that she's carrying or those insecurities that just don't seem like they're ever going to go away, she knows deep in her soul that God is right there with her. He promises in Scripture that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And we're all going to have doubts. It doesn't mean you're not going to ever doubt God, but it means that you choose to trust in those moments. I also see, you know, women that are growing in godly confidence. To me, that woman is, is someone who knows that God created her on purpose and for a purpose. And even if you don't know what that purpose is right now, that's okay. Um, I'm still trying to figure mine out. So, you know, in, in a lot of our lives, the enemy is going to whisper, ladies. He does it really well. He's going to whisper lies to us. In Scripture, it talks about Satan being the father of lies, and when he lies, he speaks his native language. And so oftentimes it's pretty believable. We hear him say stuff to us like, you don't have what it takes. Why even try? You're not lovable. God doesn't love you. You've messed up way too much. How could he use your story? You've messed up way too much, and that's a lie that far too often we believe. Satan says things like, who are you? Who are you to speak into that other woman's life? You have all this crap in your closet. Who are you? But ladies, if we're going in godly confidence, when we hear those lies, we can recognize them a little bit more quickly for what they are. And that they're lies. And we can choose in that moment to pivot and turn to God and say, God, please remind me who I am. Remind me that I'm yours that, that, that you have gifted me in a specific way and that I have a purpose. And so, ladies, as I look around the room today, um, that is what I want for each and every one of us. I want it for the ladies that are watching at home today. I want it for myself. I don't think this is something that we arrive at. It's going to be something that we continually seek after. I want that, that godly confidence, and that is my prayer for us today. You know, when we were talking about kind of empowering today women, I think about God He is the ultimate empowerer. When we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, his Holy Spirit lives in us. Shoot. (laughs) We are empowered to do what God has called us to do. And even if you don't know what that is right now, right now, a little bit of Kentucky coming out. (laughs) If you don't know what that is right now, that's okay. Just continue to lean into God. Um, You know, we're going to need to do that, to seek after God, to get in Scripture, to learn his truth so we can recognize lies. 
when they come at us. But we also need each other. It's said that the quickest way that we can kill what God is doing in our lives is to start comparing our, what God is doing in us to other people. And we do that, ladies. I think we're pretty good at comparison. I know I am. But we really don't have time to compare. We don't have time to waste what God has given us. You know, Aaron talks often about this idea of we have a little bit of time. We just have a little bit of opportunity to do what God has called us to do. Not your sister, not your best friend, not the pastor's wife, not your neighbor. What he has called you to do. And that's unique to each of us. So that's pretty much what I have to say today. Just wanted to, to let you guys know what's on my heart and what I'm praying for you ladies of Trace, um, that we would all grow in godly confidence. And if today you need permission, allow this moment um, to sit, sit on you and um, allow it to be a moment where you stop looking back at your broken yesterdays, you stop listening to the lies of the enemy, and you begin walking in godly confidence, knowing that he created you for a purpose and on purpose, and he can use you, even if you've got stuff in your past. Thank you, ladies. I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to move into a, a time of response. Heavenly Father, I am just so grateful for this place and for each woman who is in here today and who's watching online. Grateful to be a part of a church that knows that you have empowered every single person in here, women and men alike, with your Holy Spirit, God, to do what only you can do through us, God. And so I just pray that we will learn to walk in confidence in that, um, not in ourselves, not in our, our self-confidence, God, but in godly confidence uh, that you, you are the Lord and leader of our lives. And because of that, we don't need to worry about what everyone else thinks. We just want to worry about what you think, God. So direct our paths. In Jesus' name, amen.